Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Father, I pray you open eyes today. Father, we came here to learn about you. Father, not necessarily to hear just what we want to hear, but to hear your voice, Father. So meet needs today, and we'll give you all the honor for what you accomplished. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with the uh, first verse. And for the sake of time, we're going to do a little bit of skipping. But let's start with uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, therefore, in connection to what he had just said at the end of chapter 4, be imitators of God, not just worshipers, not just gospel sharers, not just churchgoers, but watch this, imitators of God. I want you to imagine, uh, you know, imagine being a teenager, you know, maybe 13, 14 years old, and you want to be a basketball star. And imagine Michael Jordan making the commitment to come to your backyard to play with you every single afternoon. You would do everything to make sure you followed his direction, but on top of that, you'd probably imitate his every move. Why? Because everyone wants to be like Mike. But how much more the one who ascended into heaven, the one who gathers the wind, the Bible says, in his fist, the one who bound the waters in a garment, the one who established the ends of the earth, the one who has all the answers to every question. We're talking about the big G God, and the Bible says it's only natural when you recognize who God is to become an imitator. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, when I was a child, I, I wanted to be exactly like my father. I wanted to talk like him. I wanted to walk like him. I wanted to speak like him. I wanted to drive a car like him. I wanted to shave like him. I wanted to wear cologne like him. Everything my father did, I just very naturally imitated. Everywhere he went, I wanted to go. So and this is just to decide, but by the way, everything you don't like about me is probably because of my father. Anything you might like about me is because of my mother. But the point is, I wanted to be just like my dad. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. Now, imitation is the first step in the learning process. Uh, at first, you know, we're not mature enough to understand everything and, and we don't get the why. So all we can do is kind of follow the what. We tell a child what to do. He doesn't really even understand uh, why to do again, what he does. Even with a, with a baby, if you, if you think about it, the baby begins not by understanding speech, by, but by mimicking what he or she hears. Uh, actually, we learn to read, we learn to write, we learn even to smile by imitating or mimicking others. And I, and I know you're, you're really special and, and you're a super original, but all of us, we, we've all faked it until we made it. And, and that's just the reality. Children come into this world, all they do is imitate their surroundings. And likewise, when we come into the kingdom, if you really honor God and really love God, it's going to be very natural for you to become an imitator of God. Be imitators of God. Watch this. As dear, divinely loved, literally the Greek here is agape, children not stray children not abandoned children not neglected children but literally agape 
children, which is uh, agape is the word for the highest form of love. It's, it's sacrificial, it's, it's selfless, and an unconditional love that persists despite the circumstances. But here's the good news. If you had an absentee father, even a bad father, maybe just an average father, the good news is God wants to become your father today, and he'll become everything that your daddy was not. Just cry out from your heart, Abba, Father, and God will heal. God wants to be your father. He wants to be that person in your life that becomes your role model. And then he goes on and says, and walk in love. So this is what the invitation of God looks like. And there's only one requirement that's attached, according to scripture, to God's love. And it's that the, the, the love that God shows us, he wants us to also show others. So, you know, our weight, our height, our, our noses, our complexions, they're all different. But you know what the dead giveaway is that we belong to God, that we're part of his family? It's our love for others. And this type of love is not only uh, about what you can get, but it's about giving without expecting anything in return. And this is the agape or the God kind of love. And if you are part of agape's family, you will participate in agape type of love. Then it says, walk in agape as Christ. Now, this is a super tall order. This is probably the most difficult verse in the Bible. You may think others are, but this is the verse in the Bible. Walk in love, not just as people do, but as Christ, as, as Jesus Christ. Because, you know, it's one thing to tell the truth to people who want to hear it. It's another people, another thing to tell the truth to people that you know just a couple moments from now are going to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You really don't really know what, what love is until you learn to love someone who hates you. And this is what Jesus taught us to do. Walk in love as Christ, not as uh, Gandhi, not as Martin Luther King. I mean, he's a great man, did great things, not, not as your neighbor, but as Christ. The ultimate example is the man who was nailed to the cross uh, for the, the sin of others. And he says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a what? Sacrifice. Now, love that only takes and does not give is not yet like Christ's love. Here's a little health check that, that will help you uh, check whether your heart is operating like Christ. When's the last time you did something for God without him having to twist your arm? Well, when's the last time you gave something to God that cost you something? You see, the world and the devil will get in your ear saying, well, it doesn't require all that. You, you really don't, don't have to go the extra mile. But when God asks you for something, it's never really to get anything from you as much as to get something to you. With God, even subtractions are additions. That's the way the kingdom operates. But at first, it looks like a loss. But if you trust God, it will become much. An offering and a sacrifice, watch this, to God. Not to people. It's not for people. But it's to who? God. You see, everyone will not always understand you. Everyone will not always understand me. But that's okay because everyone has a right to their opinion. But I also reserve the right to ignore it. And we must learn to, you know what? We're living for an audience of one. I hear what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying. But ultimately, what has God said about the matter? And he said, when we do this, it's for a sweet-smelling aroma. Do you know that obedience or disobedience in our spiritual lives has a smell to it? And I always want to smell like a fresh and brand new baby to God. But then in verse 3, it says, but fornication. Uh-oh. 
They said, why are you going to mess up this good message? I was following, you know, uh, along so far, but, but now you, you're starting to meddle. But it says, but what? Foreign what? Cation. You see, we can't just tear pages out of our Bibles. Uh, I, I, listen, I know you're scary, but the deal is I'm more scared of God. And you may think here that Paul, we were talking about love. You may think that Paul changed the subject. But no, actually, he's leaning into the subject. He's still talking about love because real love will make you do right. And this is what the Bible is trying to teach us. Then it says, but what? Here's that word. Here's it. Get ready for it. But fornication. Now, all of us on some level are guilty of this word. Uh, the term translated fornication here is literally pornea or uh, pornea, uh, where we get the word, watch this, pornography. And the term pornea literally means to sell off, to sell off, to sell off, to sell it. Why? Because every time we engage in pornea, we sell ourselves short. You see, there's always someone who's not going to see your worth. Just make sure it's not you. But fornication or pornea, which is uh, at that time became the general term for all illicit sexuality. This included adultery, incest, bestiality, homosexuality, uh, and sex outside of, of marriage. Now, I've been pastoring for a lot of years now, and I, I've sat with a lot of couples and, and just seen a lot of things in my life. But that last one seems to be the hardest thing for most folks. The problem is that, you know, mo it's not that most of us don't want the, 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 the entree. I mean, we, we do want the entree. We, we married for a reason, and, and there's some level of love and appreciation there. It's just that we also want the sides. There's a saying that, that I used to hear, roses are red, violets are blue. If he's always too busy, the side chick is you. This applies to the roosters too, by the way. And all uncleanness or covetousness. Now, the reason that God lists, well, the Holy Spirit here, lists covetousness next to sexual issues is because all the problems uh, in our sexual lives begin by wanting things that don't belong to us or wanting things that's not fit for us. You know, when, when I was young, uh, you know, new and, and foolish, the Lord said something to me that has stayed with me uh, all, all of my life. And uh, he, he said to me, about a girl I was dating. He said, if you love that girl, you will let her alone. Stop giving her memories that she's only going to have to forget. Literally left me speechless. And I realized the issue wasn't about don't do this and do this. It was really about love. And if I loved her, I'd let her alone. And it says, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Now, God is not asking us to be phonies, but when we truly become saints, distinct, separated ones, again, saints, we are different. So stop trying to fit in with the ain'ts and truly be a saint. And every time I have let God down, it was because I forgot who I really was, that I belonged to God, that I was uh, living based on a higher standard, that God himself was living on the inside of me. And for those of you that are struggling in these areas that I just talked about, you need to understand something that C.S. Lewis said is really important. He says, a Christian does not believe God loves us because we're good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. 
So if you fall down, keep getting back up. Never give up on yourself because God thought you were worth it. He hung on a cross for you and I because we were worth it. So keep getting up and watch God do his thing in your life. Skip to verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So, you know, we're not going to go in a whole lot of detail about all the things that we just began to talk about. Um, but we're going to take the advice in verse verse 15. And, and again, these extensive conversations on these, these types of subjects I don't think are helpful. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So what he's saying is, guys, stop trying to be like everybody else. It's not who you are that's holding you back. It's who you think you are that's stopping you. Not as fools. So we can be saved, but foolish. So just because God lives in your heart doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to make foolish choices anymore. Because commanding people that already know the Lord to walk in a certain way, which lets us know that, uh, you know, as a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. And a lot of the change in our behavior comes from a change in our thinking. Let's read it one more time. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as what? Wise. We are not our mistakes. They're what you did, but they're not no longer who you are. We are new creations in Christ. We are the head and not the tails. We're above, the Bible says, and not beneath. The Bible says the enemy comes against us one way, but flees before us seven ways. The Bible says I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. It says I am the righteousness of God. What I am now, I have never been before. And the Bible is teaching us to walk out what we are on the inside, on the outside. But again, that only happens to the extent we change our thinking and our minds. Then verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So he was saying, hey, church, stop wasting your life on low living. It's time's wasted. You'll never get back and only creeps creep. This is what he's trying to say to the church. So again, just because you get saved will not automatically make you stop certain things. The reality is we have to renew our mind and our thinking. We need to get under a right word in order for us to get free. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise. It's just the same way of saying what he just said. But understand what the will of the Lord is. The problem was in the people's understanding. It wasn't a malfunction of their new nature, but it was uh, basically the problem of their old thinking. Again, change your mind, change your life. One more time. Change a mind, change a life. Change your thinking, you'll change your behavior. Discover who you are in Christ and who you act like will begin to shift and change. But you got to realize your value, that you belong to someone. Even if, if, if people don't like you, if people reject and all the rest. You know, if, if you began to, to put people in their right spot and recognize, you know what? They may not like me, but God likes me. So since God likes me, I still have value. So I'm going to treat myself like I have value. I'm going to make decisions like I have value. And I'm not going to spend time with folks that don't see my value. And do not, verse 18, literally the, the Greek is stop getting drunk with wine. Now everyone has an opinion 
on this subject. And religious people tend to get mad at me uh, when I, I talk about this particular subject. But I'm, I'm a guy, you know, wherever I land, uh, it's going to be based on the word. I just stay with the scripture. So what we find in the Bible is that alcohol, wine in particular, is both a blessing and the curse. You know, the first time it was used in the Bible, we saw Noah uh, got drunk and, he, and it ended up cursing Canaan. But we also see in the New Covenant, Jesus at Cana uh, drank, but when he drank, it actually caused a blessing to occur at a wedding. So it seems to be all on how you use this thing. So if you don't drink, great, but, but if you do drink, that's also fine. Just remember verses like this and do it in moderation. Again, I'm a Bible guy, so I know your, your denomination may teach a certain way. That's great, but uh, I, I stick with the Word of God, and you got to look at the whole book uh, to come to opinions and make sure that what you think is a conviction, you don't turn, or what is a conviction, you don't turn it into a doctrine. So uh, I may have convictions on the matter, but I don't teach it as a doctrine. And uh, we, we need to distinguish between the two, okay? And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Um, you know, one too many results in poor judgment. One too many usually causes regret. But instead of getting drunk, be filled with the spirit. You know, it's funny how people are so reckless when it comes to things that could potentially be, be vices, but so conservative when it comes to things of the spirit. You know, I would never do that. I would never shout that way. I would never uh, uh, dance that way. But it's amazing when, when it comes to, to, to silliness in the world, we'll shout even louder. We'll, we'll, we'll make more, greater uh, fools of ourselves uh, if, if we want. But what God is saying here, when it comes to the spirit, he wants us to, to, to really turn up, to, to use every muscle to, to go forward and to lean in when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to, uh, you know, let what I did for the devil outdo what I'll do for God. I did some silly things for the devil. But I tell you, I'm willing to do a thousand times more for a holy and true and loving God. But it says, but be filled with the Spirit. In part one, we learn that being filled with the Spirit uh, helped Jesus to resist temptation in the wilderness. In part two, we learned that um, being filled with the Holy Spirit made the disciples bold in the, the face of crisis and, and threats. This week, we're going to learn how being filled with the Spirit makes you infectious and makes you contagious. It says, but be filled with the what? Spirit It's talking about filling. It likens drunkenness when you've had too much to being filled, not just having some, but being filled. He wants us to literally, if you will, be intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be overcome by the Holy Spirit. He wants our judgments to almost be impaired, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, but righteously impaired. And the things we used to care about, we don't care about anymore because we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to live lives under the influence of God. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, one of the first things that happens when someone has had too much to drink is you start to hear it in their speech. They start to slur. They start to perhaps say things that they would not otherwise say. Likewise, but by different means, the Holy Spirit wants to remove inhibitions. 
He wants to remove insecurities. He wants us to get rid of all our hangups and make us fully present, fully alive, fully ourselves and enter into full throated praise to God. Being filled with the spirit, watch this though, not speaking to God. Now there is a place where we speak to God and we, we often do that in tongues. Uh, we also do that in English and, and prayer is a way to speak to God. But this verse is saying that when we're filled with the spirit, we will not only speak to God, it will impact how we speak to one another. Watch this. But be filled with the spirit speaking to who? One another. And this is why we're having, you know, the park in praise next week. I often praise God alone. I, I enjoy praising God alone. But something special happens when, 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 when we do it with one another. There's something contagious about you worshiping God and then I'm worshiping God. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. And we come together and we worship him. There's a dynamic that's released like a few other times. It says speaking, watch this, to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, we're not going to dig into those uh, three types of uh, uh, songs, if you will, but the last song is that song sung by the Spirit. Sometimes it's sung in tongues. Other times it's just spontaneous worship where God gives you the lyrics as you begin to sing. It's, it's happened around here hundreds of times. You don't even realize that's exactly what's happening, but that's what is Happening. But what I want you to watch is when you're filled with the spirit, instead of cussing and, and, and having too many and, and, and doing something bad and, and making a mistake, God wants to give us praise. He wants to get us so under the influence that we become infectious and we begin to impact one another uh, and we boost one another and we begin to redirect one another's worship to God. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing what? Singing what? Singing. This is why every service has singing, because it's one of the marks of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, when he's really in your heart, you're going to want to sing. Um, I, I don't know a lot about singing. I'm not a great singer. I'm, you know, I just kind of hold a, a tune as much as I can. But when you sing, there's a little more air coming out of your mouth. I don't know. Muscles are doing different things. It's, it's a whole, it's speech taken to a whole new level. And God wants us to value him and esteem him and celebrate him so much. We take our speech to a whole new level. There are inflections, there are ups, there's downs. And, and it's just, there's, there's a whole lot of extra when it comes to singing. And God wants to be lavishly worshiped and praised. Not, not because he's an egotist, but because he's worth it. And because frankly, if we really know who God is, is, that would be the natural response. The only time I don't want to praise him is when I start to forget how good he is. That's why the Bible says things like, oh, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Why do we have to magnify? A magnifying glass does not make anything larger. All it does is help us see it clearer. And what has to happen in moments in our lives when we're feeling discouraged and all the rest, usually, you know, kind of like a scales come over our eyes and all we see is the darkness. And God's like, no, magnify the Lord. You need to see me more clearly again. If you could see my goodness, if you could only see what I have planned for you. If you could see how much I love you, you would put a smile back on that face. You would square those shoulders and there'd be more of a swag back in your, your step. It says singing and making melody in your heart. So this singing comes first for your heart. 
And, uh, you know, we do sing songs from our heads and, and that's okay, but it's not good till it comes from my heart. And sometimes I know the first 10 minutes of a worship service, I'm trying to forget everything that, that I might've just faced on the way into the room. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.